Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. If you need a Bible, please put your hand up real quick. Greg will make sure you get one. And uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 17. I feel like, for whatever reason, we've been in this chapter for quite a long time. It's actually been like six weeks, you know, because I was gone a couple weeks and we had some guest speakers and whatnot. So, um, but we're, we've been in a three-part, ser- three-part message, really, in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. We've been talking about the coming kingdom. Jesus was asked a question about when the kingdom would come by some Pharisees. Well, you'll see here in a second. And he responds to them. And then he turns and he begins to teach his disciples about the coming kingdom. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning in this conversation about the coming kingdom. I've entitled the message, The Chronicles of the Coming Kingdom. And so stand with me if you would, please. We're going to begin in verse 20, although we will only pretty much focus on verses 34 through 37. We will uh, begin in verse 20 to kind of get a good context rolling into those verses. So Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, it says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. For they will say to you, look there or look here. Do do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given into marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down uh, to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we are excited about your coming kingdom. Lord, we're excited about uh, the time point in which you will crack the sky and you will reveal yourself. Lord, we long for that day. And yet as we wait upon you, Father, we know that you have work for us. We know that you have a plan and a purpose. And Lord, we can't rush your plan. So would you help us today to uh, recognize the reality of the coming kingdom that Jesus is coming back, and how we should respond to that truth. We ask that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord. Just cut away all the things that might distract us from what you want to speak to us about this morning. Lord, let us listen intently to your spirit. We want to be more like Jesus. 
We want to be faithful with what you've given us, Lord. And we long to see you. So we ask you just come teach us now. In Jesus' name, amen. When I approached this scripture, you know, five or six weeks ago or whatever, I divided uh, these verses up into five different points. We've already gone through four of the points, and today we'll encounter the fifth and final point. If you missed any of those, uh, you know, the, the first two parts of the sermon, you can, uh, I can make you a CD of that. If you put your name on that list back there, we'll make sure you get one. Uh, or you can go to our website and listen to it. But it's kind of important as you lead into these verses because they weren't isolated as it were this morning. We're going to encounter 34 through 37. It's kind of hard to understand them without really looking at the totality of what Jesus was saying there. I'm just going to give you a very brief outline of what we went through moving into verse uh, 34 so that we have a good uh, context moving forward because that will make the difference in how you interpret Verses 34 through 37. There are a couple different interpretations which I'll, I'll give you. But the first thing that we encountered in verses 20 through 21 was the timing of the coming kingdom. God's timing. He, he was asked by these Pharisees. We don't know who they are, but they, they asked a specific question. When is the kingdom coming? Now, uh, they were looking for signs. They had always been looking for signs. Show me a sign when the com coming kingdom is Jesus. Show us that you're really from heaven. They, they were sign seekers. And yet Jesus said, you won't find the kingdom seeking signs. Just as a person will never find salvation by seeking signs, you'll never find the kingdom that way. It doesn't come that way. Jesus said, you can't observe it in that way. But listen, I tell you, he says to them, the kingdom is in your midst. And what he was saying to them was that the king is here and with the king comes the kingdom. And if you missed the message, you can check it out. But but essentially, Jesus told them the kingdom is here. He began to, to uh, hopefully spark some interest in their heart that they would go back to the scriptures and look at what it meant for the Messiah when he would come because Jesus was alluding to a twofold fulfillment of the Messiah coming. Just as there was a two-part um, you know, death in, when the fall of man came, where there was a spiritual death and a, and a physical death, as the, coming, as the kingdom comes back, there will be two parts to it. There will be a spiritual fulfillment of the kingdom and there will be a physical fulfillment of the kingdom. Jesus was alluding to all that when he said that to them. He expected them to know the scriptures. Listen, I, I want to warn you that they did read the Bible, they did read the scriptures and yet they missed it. So let that be a warning to us as we encounter the scriptures, as we look at God's word, that we come to it with an open heart and an open mind every time. Oh no, I've read this a thousand times. It doesn't matter. Listen, we, have a, we, we are solid on the foundation of Christ and what He's done for us. But we start to look at prophetic things. We need to come to the Word of God with open hearts and minds and say, Lord, what would you have me to learn from this passage this morning? As we encounter the subject of the rapture this morning, many of you have your, your doctrine and you understand what you believe on that. That's great. Study the Scriptures. Make sure you understand those things. But... As I do, every time I come across one of these subjects that is controversial, where there's different, different interpretations. I don't want to say controversial. I want to say that there are different interpretations. People have arrived at different, different places in the Scriptures as they've studied them. Very good men who have studied the Scriptures who are way smarter than I am, uh, you know, they, 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 they conflict when it comes to interpretations of some of these passages. And so that tells me that I have to be careful 
when I, when I come to these places in Scripture that I seek God and I ask His Spirit to teach me as it relates to these things. And so you come open-hearted. These guys never came open-hearted to the Scriptures. They thought they knew what they... Um, they thought they knew that how the Messiah would come, and yet they missed him, didn't they? So let that serve as a warning to you. So first we saw the, the, coming of the, uh, the timing of the coming of the kingdom. The second thing that we see is the longing of the coming of the kingdom in verses 22 through 25 there. Uh, Jesus begins, he turns to his disciples now. Everything he's going to say from this point forward, he is addressing his disciples, not the Pharisees. And in fact, they may not even be there. We don't know. But Jesus begins to address his disciples and he tells them, listen, there's a day coming when you will long to see me and you won't see me anymore because I'm going away. I'm going to die. He's, he's predicting his death. He's telling them about the cross one more time. He's saying, listen, be prepared because you're going to long for that day for, me to, for the days that you spent with me because I'm leaving. But he, he left them with a warning. He said, beware, make sure. That, you know, as I depart and you are here on this earth, that you don't follow just, uh, you're not tossed to and fro by all these ridiculous people who say, no, Jesus is here, he's there. Listen, you won't miss me, he said. Trust me. Just as the lightning, as you see the lightning in the sky, you won't miss the coming of the Son of Man. So don't you worry about that. And, and that's a warning for us. Because there are people in our world today that are saying, no, Jesus is here, he's there. Do you know... There, there are multiples of people throughout the period, history of time that have claimed to be Jesus. Do you know there's a dude in Miami right now that says that he's Jesus Christ. And we're like, he's not Jesus, by the way. In case you, the guy smokes cigars, he drinks booze. You know, that's not the Jesus I read about in the Bible. But, and he certainly doesn't hang out on South Beach. You know what I'm saying? So that's not Jesus, I promise you. When Jesus comes... It will be a visible coming. Everyone will see him at the same time, okay? So we'll see that in the scriptures this morning. But, but Jesus warns his disciples regarding that. And, and then uh, he, he tells them, uh, he, he speaks about the unawareness regarding the coming kingdom, which is amazing because Jesus supposed, spent a third of what he talked about, about prophecy, about his coming back. And yet there was this confusion as it related he says, as it will relate to me coming back. And he illustrates that by, the, um, by using two Old Testament people that had to deal with, with the judgments when God was going to judge the world. He talked about Noah, and he talked about Lot. And he said, listen, the world's going to look just like that. People will be unaware of the judgment that is to come, and yet they've been warned about it over and over again. And they've rejected it. He said, you know, when, when Noah and, and Lot uh, had, uh, had done what they were supposed to do, they were out preaching, a lot pre or Noah preached for 120 years. People rejected the idea that judgment was coming, and yet judgment came. Lot found himself, he was so sucked into the world that he found himself sitting at the gate in Sodom. He was so preoccupied with the horizontal that he forgot the vertical, and yet God came after him. I find that interesting. That even though we are unfaithful, he is faithful. That he would come after him and rescue him out, out of that place of Sodom before, he, before fire and sulfur would rain down on there. Jesus said the, day is good, the days will be exactly the same. The people will be on their merry way as it were. They will be eating and drinking and giving into marriage and, and they will be buying and selling and planting and building. They'll be doing all these things. It's just be business as usual. 
And then one day, suddenly, it's all going to change. Not, and people have been warned. Jesus has warned us. We have the word of God. We have, uh, you know, today in, in, in this world, we, as the body of Christ, go into the world and we tell people, judgment's coming. And I know it's not a popular uh, message in this day and age, you know, in the seeker-friendly world that we don't, but we have to bear the truth of the gospel. And part of the truth of the gospel is if you reject it, judgment awaits you. So we have to make sure we bring the whole gospel, not just part of it. God wants to save you. He loves you. But if you reject him, you will stand before him and he will judge you. You don't want to stand before Jesus as your judge. So people will be unaware. And if you look around our culture today, many people have been warned by it, and yet they, it, they're going to be caught off guard when, 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 this, when the tribulation time happens. The, the fourth thing we see is the cart condition at the coming of the kingdom, verses 31 through 33. There'll be the, the heart condition of the people will be just like Lot's wife, where they'll be looking back at the world as they're moving forward, and the Lord would say, no, no, you don't, I don't have your heart. I don't have your whole heart. I need to have your whole heart. Lot's wife was obedient in coming out of Sodom, and yet her heart was still in, in Sodom. And so the Lord would say, listen, if that's, if that's you, you're not saved. You're not saved from that. If your heart belongs to somebody else, then you're not 100% mine, and I don't take anything but 100%. You require everything. Jesus tells them uh, here in verse 31 that on that day, what day is he speaking of? He's talking about the day when the Son of Man is revealed. He just said that in verse 30. When the Son of Man is revealed. What is that a reference to? I believe it's a reference to the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation is the revealing of Jesus Christ as uh, the line of the tribe of Judah, not as the lamb who was crucified, but he's coming with a sword in Revelation. It's a re revealing of the righteousness of Jesus as the judge and the, the rightful um, you know, heir to the throne of David, and he's coming. We, we see that in the... In the um, Jesus shed some more light as it relates to what he was saying in Luke here. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 22, it'll be up on the screen for you. You can write this down. But it says, So then when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. For alas, for women who are pregnant... And for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been before, from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would, have, would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And, and we remember that, um, I, I don't know if you... Remember like two or three weeks ago when I taught this, but I dumped a bunch of information on you right at the end and you guys were like this, like, whoa, there's a lot. But, but there, there was a lot because there's a lot that Jesus is saying here. He's referencing, now this is a reference to Israel. When, he, when we come to verses 20, uh, 31 through 33 in Luke, he's referencing, he's speaking about Israel, the fact that God will turn his heart back towards Israel in the tribulation time. And, and and again, he alludes to that. He, he elaborates on it in Matthew 24. He's saying the same thing. He just gives us a lot more detail to it. But um, we talked about the 70th week prophecy of Daniel. 
And the fact that in Daniel chapter 9, the fact that halfway through the tribulation period, remember, the Antichrist will turn on Israel. They would have made a peace treaty with him for the first three and a half years. Um, and then he will turn on them and he will not allow them to do their, their sacrifices in the temple anymore. He won't allow them to do any of that stuff. And at that point in time, Jesus says, the partial blinding of the Jews, will, will, the scales will fall from them, their eyes and they will recognize that that is the Antichrist and Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And at that point, they will flee to the mountains. Now, this is all Jewish here. This is talking about those in Judea. He's talking about those that are in that place. They're going to flee to the mountains, probably Petra. We went there last year. Awesome place in Jordan where they're going to hide in the, in the rocks and the caves as they, as they wait, wait there being protected. And we know the, the, the beast will come after them. But guess what? We win. The Lord always wins. But the, I say all of this because we have to understand that when Jesus is speaking prophetically about his coming back, a portion of what he's talking about is dealing with Israel itself as, as a nation. God is turning his heart back towards Israel. He's, you know, there's been a partial blinding that's come upon them now. And yet one day, halfway through the tribulation period, their eyes will be opened and then there will be wrath like it's never been seen on the earth ever or ever will be seen. It's termed the great tribulation period. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be alive during this time. You want to be raptured with the Lord. You don't want to be here when this comes, I promise you. Um, again, he's talking primarily about, um, about when Jesus mentions the elect here in Matthew chapter 24, and he talks about for the sake of the elect, um, those days will be cut short. I, he's primarily alluding to the Jewish people during that day, although the elect is a big term. It means both, the, both Gentiles and Jews. But in this particular case, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about those who are alive during this time. They will, um, their hearts will be turned uh, back towards the Lord. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Here's what Paul said about this. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now that's the phrase, fullness of the Gentiles. That's at the point when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in is when everything changes. It's when God's view from the Gentile world changes to Jewish, okay? Jesus said the same thing in Luke chapter 21, verse 14. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be tramp, trampled under feet by the Gentiles. Now, this is speaking about uh, when, Ju when Israel was overtaken, when Jerusalem was bombarded uh, by Rome in 70 AD, and it was it's trampled on it. But listen to what Jesus says. Until it's going to, you know, Jerusalem's going to be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Listen, until uh, the, full, the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So when the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled, that's the shifting point. Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. What is that time period? What is he talking about? He's talking about the point in which the last Gentile gets saved, we believe. That at the point, that point in time when, uh, th that's why we're evangelizing Gentiles. Look, no, not, not just Gentiles, anybody. But we're looking for the last, hey, are you the last Gentile? Because when that changes everything, when that last Gentile believes in the Lord, everything else changes. That's when God starts to focus on Israel. He turns his heart back towards Israel. Israel. So that's what we're waiting for. When the last Gentile believes, the church age will come to an end. And then the next 
portion, as Scripture would elaborate for us, is the millennial kingdom. That's when that's beginnings with the tribulation period, and then Jesus in his thousand-year reign, he'll create a new heavens and an earth after that age. And so that's the, the last portion of what we know as this earth and these heavens. Because as soon as that age is done, we will be in a new earth and a new heavens. He will create everything new. We see that at the, at the end of the book of Revelation. But Jesus is going to deal with Israel for a seven years. And then he will set up his kingdom for a thousand years. And then, but that all happens, I believe, at the, at the last, at the beginning. It'll begin when the last Gentile gets saved. Not to say that Gentiles won't get saved during the tribulation, because they will. Many people will come to Christ during that time. But it's primarily Jewish. The heart condition of the majority of the people during this time will be like Lot's wife. They will run away from God rather than run to him. Their heart will belong to the world. And, and as Jesus closes Luke uh, 17 verse 33, he says, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. He's talking about people who are, are just partially in that are trying to preserve their life in any way. So part of preserving your life eternally is, hey, I need a little Jesus in my life because Jesus, I heard, preserves my life eternally. But if, you don't have, if he doesn't have your whole life, he's not going to preserve you. It doesn't work that way. He says if you want to save your life, you have to give it up now. You've got to give your life to me fully, wholly. And if you don't, then you'll save it here on earth maybe. I think he's referencing those people that would give their hearts over to the Antichrist and say, here, I'll take the mark of the beast because it'll save my life here. I'll be able to, I'll be able to buy and sell and I'll be able to work and whatnot, but I'm going to give my life over to him rather than Jesus. Listen, you're giving your life over to somebody. Who are you giving your life over to? Who owns you? Somebody owns you. you there's two teams here, guys. There's the enemy and there's the Lord. And you're on one side or the other. There is no in-between. You can't be partial. You're either, in the enemy, you're either in the camp of the Lord or you're in the enemy's camp. There's no other choice. So the Lord would have you be on his team. And he would have you come to him wholeheartedly. The heart condition of these people would reject the abundant life that Jesus would offer for the sake of the physical, for the temporal that brings us to verses 34 through 37 here. Uh, we consider the taken of the coming kingdom. The taken of the coming kingdom. This is the final point. Look at verse 40, uh, 34 with me. It says, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Now, some of your versions in your Bible right here have a verse 36. And you're like, when I read it, you're like, whoa, what happened, man? That guy didn't read verse 36. What's his problem? He doesn't like that verse? No, it's not in my Bible. The reason it's not in my Bible is because when they translate the Bible, there were two groups of, of old manuscripts that they used. One's called the majority text. One is called the critical text, okay? And the, the version of the Bible that the ESV comes from is from this critical test that, text that only uses the oldest manuscripts when, when they look at scriptures. Verse 36 happens to not be in those old manuscripts. Well, why isn't it in there? Probably because at some later date when scribes were transcribing the manuscript, it maybe inserted a footnote or you know, a, a, some note alluding to what Jesus did say these words in, in Matthew 24. He said them exactly that way. But some scribe probably 
put it in there just to reference it or bring it, and, and somehow it, it made its way into the majority of the um, manuscripts. You know, whatever, it's in the Bible. It just doesn't belong in Luke chapter 17. And so, you know, but, but that verse says this. It just says, two men will be in the field. The one will be taken, the other left. And so uh, the same context, same idea. It doesn't change anything. Um, and, and, and so Jesus is now turning to his disciples, and he's speaking regarding the taking of the kingdom, the coming kingdom. One thing that we, as we encounter this scripture, we have to look at is there's one absolute clear thing about this. Some people are taken and some people are not. That's the most obvious you know, uh, point that we come across when we look at the scripture is some people are left and some, some people aren't. The question becomes, who is left and who is not? Who is Jesus talking about in the scripture? What is he saying? Who is he alluding to? Is he talking about believers are taken and unbelievers are, are, are left? Or is he talking about believers, unbelievers that are taken and believers that are left? That's, that's the question that people encounter when they come to this scripture. Jesus has just been talking about uh, his coming kingdom and he's, and he's alluded to the idea that judgment is coming. And so, you know, it, many will say that when they, when they encounter this text that it's speaking about judgment in, a, in totality. And so when Jesus comes to verse 34, he's talking about unbelievers being taken into judgment. And, and, and he's saying that they're the ones taken. And those who are left here are actually the tribulation saints that will go into the millennial kingdom. That makes sense. That is going to happen. That's totally biblical, right? The, 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 the idea of, of what's being transpired through different, um, some of these different scholars is true. It's absolutely true. I mean, Revelation 19 says that at the end of the, um, end of the tribulation period, Jesus is going to slay all the unbelievers. He's going to kill them. He's going to take them out of the world. The only people that will be left in that point in time are those who came to Christ. Listen, those who came to Christ in the tribulation, not those who came to Christ before the tribulation. We're already glorified. We're already with him. In fact, we're reigning and ruling with Jesus in the millennial kingdom. But for those people who live through the tribulation period, and there will be people that will live through the tribulation period, God particularly says that he's going to protect 144,000 of these Jews that will be his witnesses all the way through. He's going to protect them. There's an anointing on them. Just as in Egypt, when the plagues came down, that God protected the Israelites from the plagues. He the same idea, he's going to protect these people, certain people through the millennial, uh, through the tribulation period. But understand, many will give their lives up. Many will be beheaded. Many will be killed on account of Christ. And so, uh, you know, during this tribulation period, some believe that, um, you know, again, the taken are the unbelievers. Some believe that the, 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 those who are left are the believers in the world. Um, and as I look at this, you know, there's also another view. Is he referencing, you know, those who are taken away being the church? And then those left as the unbelievers. That's how I see it. So what I believe the scripture is saying. And I'll tell you why specifically. It has to do with that word taken. So make sure you make note of that. But I'll get to it in a minute. But, um, you know, is Jesus referring to the rapture? Is he talking about the rapture right here? Um, you know, that time and place where, he, where, where, you know, Paul said that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
Is that the, what he's referencing here? First Thessalonians, or First Corinthians, of fifteen, fifty-two for fifty-three. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this imper- this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. I was reading that earlier, and I kept saying immorality, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think the Lord's going to put on immorality in us later so you know don't read it like that paul also wrote which is one of the you know foundational verses i think when it comes to the rapture is first thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18 here's what it says it says but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep those who have died that you may not grieve as others who have no hope for since we believe that jesus died and rose again even so through jesus god will bring with him, those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven, from heaven with a cry and a com- of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will first rise. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Listen, every single person who ever believed in Jesus Christ, who, who, who was alive or has passed away prior to the, the timing of the rapture, will experience this incredible and wonderful idea of being caught up with Christ. If you died before um, you know, you, you, you died before the rapture came. Guess what? You get to go first. Jesus is going to, you're going you're to rise from the dead first and you'll be caught up and then those who are alive will be caught up with you or with us or with whoever it is in the air and to be with the Lord forever, it says. Now, I, I can't get sidetracked on how that all works because when you die, you go to heaven. But you're going to come back and resurrect from the dead at that point in time because scripture says so. You know, I, and, and so just understand that. Look it up later. Read through it. But the idea is that if you're alive, you're going to be taken out of the world. You are going to be caught up with the Lord in the air. It's going to be an awesome thing. The, 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 the word rapture, now this is where people get hung up. I don't like that word rapture. I don't like it. I don't think it's in the Bible. Well, technically it's not in the Bible, but the event is in the Bible, right? I, I think that logic is so flawed because guess what? The word Trinity is not in the Bible too, so you reject that? The idea that there's uh, you know, three entities that make up God because the word's not in the Bible? The, the concept is, and by the way, the word used there for caught up in the Greek is harpazo. If you translate harpazo into the Latin, it's rapturo. Okay, which we get our English word from the Latin rapture. That's the only. That's why we call it the rapture. You want to call it the catching away. You want to call it what? The idea is there. You can call it what you want. But the whole concept of the idea that the the rap, you know, well, these the old time saints haven't talked ever about the rapture because you know what? At the end of the day, in the 1800s, they were waiting for Israel to become a nation. That was the focus. It wasn't necessarily the focus that you know it wasn't going to happen. It's because there had to be many other things to happen first. Their focus was different. Listen, in Daniel chapter 12, God told Daniel, you seal up these books. They're not for you. 
But in the last days, there, things will begin to unfold. Guess what? May 14th, 1948. I believe those books of the Daniel, the, the, the prophecies of Daniel begin to open up to us because Israel become a nation again. Now everything is set. God has set the platform for all the prophecies to come to fulfillment now. Beforehand, Israel had to be a nation. There's no way that any of this could happen moving forward without Israel gathering together and becoming a nation. And do you know that they're the only people group that ever stuck together and were a nation without a country for 2,000 years? And yet, that is the power of God in His work. And so, uh, the, uh, this concept of the rapture not being in Scripture is kind of a flawed uh, way to um, look at it. The event is, and in fact, we see it in many ways in Scripture. We see it all the way back. Moses talked about it in Genesis chapter 5, verse 20, 24, where he said, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11.5 goes on to tell us, By faith Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. God, now, what's the, what happened with Enoch there? It's interesting. It was his faith in God that pleased God, and then he was taken. It's our faith in Christ that saves us, and yet that in and of itself, the faith pleases God, then we're taken out of the world as a result in believing in Jesus Christ. It's interesting. Um, you know, we see it also in Elijah. Elijah was caught up. He was taken out of this world. Fast forward into the New Testament. Paul wrote about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-4. through 4. He said, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows. And know this, know that this man was, listen, caught up into paradise. Same Greek word, harpazo. It means to seize, to violently snatch away. That's what the word means. He was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that could not be told, which man may not utter. I think Paul was describing himself there, just my own ideas. But um, again, the, the, the snatching away, the taking away. We see this also in Acts chapter 8. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. One of my favorite Bible characters are you know, he was, I hate even saying character because these are real people. Like, this is a real account. This really happened. But this account of Philip, in Acts chapter 8, verses 36 through 40, he says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Again, the word used there for carried away, harpazo, same idea, violently snatched away to be taken. It's the concept of the rapture. It's all throughout the Bible. There's different ideas of that. Now, I believe Jesus is speaking about the rapture when we come to verses 34 through 37 because of the word taken. When he says, one will be taken and one will be left. That word taken there in the Greek is paralambano. 
Paralambano. Now, you know the word parable, right? In, in the Greek, parabole. Para, what does that mean? Alongside. Jesus is, isn't teaching a parable. He's, the para part of the word is to lay alongside, bole, to cast or to throw. So when Jesus uses an illustration, a parable, he is casting alongside a heavenly truth and earthly story. The same word here, para lambano, to, you know, the, the word para alongside, and then lambano literally means to bring to one side, to bring to one side. Now, last time I checked in the scriptures, when it comes to judgment, Jesus isn't bringing people to his side. Last time I checked, he's casting them away. He's saying, depart from me, I never knew you. And so when I encounter that scripture, I look at it and I go, okay, well, I, I see where they're saying, and that's totally biblical, by the way, the concept of, you know, judgment coming and, and the, 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 during the tribulation period, these unbelievers being taken out of the world. I get it. But when I look at the scripture here and I see the word taken, that they're going to be brought alongside to Jesus, to be coupled with them as if, the idea really speaks to me about the rapture. And so that's how I see it. Jesus is bringing um, the church to himself, alongside himself. Imagine you're laying in bed with your spouse, one saved, one not saved. But all of a sudden, the, uh, the believer's gone. You feel over and you're like, honey, where are you at? You know, where, what, what happened here? Probably going to be the woman gone because dudes are messed up and they don't, they're not believing on the, on the Lord these days. But so, you know, more women are into the Lord, I guess. But, but uh, um, you imagine that? That'd be crazy. Jesus says it's going to happen. There'll be one laying in bed, one will be gone. What if you're to sleep over? You're like, whoa, man, I'm hanging out with my friends. Everybody goes to bed and there's like three empty, uh, you know, sacks there, you know, sleeping bags with their clothes in them. And they're like, what, the, what happened to those guys, you know? Whoa, it's going to happen. There's going to be one, one taken and one left. What about, and Jesus said, in nighttime, just, this is a secondary teaching on that, but in the nighttime. And then, in the, you know, when, then he goes on to talk about two women grinding. That happened in the morning. So now you've got these two women and their occupation, whatever they do, they're just grinding away at the grain and all of a sudden the believer's gone, the unbeliever's there. Whoa, what happened? Could you imagine sitting in work? Like, and you're just hanging out in your cubicle. Next thing you know, papers are flying and you're like, what, what just happened? Bill, Bob, where are you? Hey, where'd you go, man? What'd you do with your clothes? What are they doing here? That's from left behind. We know the, I don't know if their clothes are going to be there or not, but who knows? But what we know is people are going to vanish. And it's going to happen. Like Jesus is saying, talking about something that will happen for sure. It'll be global. And it'll happen simultaneously. And the idea of it being night in one place and morning in another, and in verse 36... You know, the men would be in the field during the day, so maybe midday, speaking about the idea that the earth is round, in case you were wondering. Some people are still trying to figure that out. But, uh, um, but anyway, so, uh, you know, again, this is going to be a global thing. It's going to happen, and it's going to be sudden. And there's not going to be any, oh, man, you, you get to be a part of that event or you don't. If you believe in Jesus before it happens, you get to be a part of it. If you don't, you get to come to him through the tribulation period, which you don't want to do. And again, God warns us through his word. He doesn't want us to endure the judgment that he is about to unleash on earth. 
The rapture will be a sudden and open act of God where the people of God are literally snatched away. Now the question becomes, when is it going to happen? Again, was it pre-trib? Before the tribulation? Is it mid-trib? Halfway through the tribulation? Is it post-trib? You know, what are the thoughts? There's different views on that and, and people have different scriptural views on it and they make different cases as I've studied it. I, don't, I think that the only one that makes sense is pre-trib. It's, you know, and if you would consider, and again, that's your call as a Christian to be a Berean, to get into the Word of God yourself and go through and say, what does the Word say about this and how do I see it? You know, you're not, you're not just wanting somebody to spoon feed this stuff to you. You want to, listen, study to show yourself approved, the Bible would say. So get in the Word yourself. But, you know, as I've studied the Scriptures, I, I, I can't come to any other conclusion. But it's a pre-tribulation rapture based on other things that I see in Scripture, primarily that you and I are not, we're not, um, we're, we're not accounted to wrath. There is no judgment for us because Jesus has paid the price. What's the point of the tribulation? It's the wrath of the Lamb coming down on the world. It makes no sense why He would bring His church through that when we're not appointed to judgment. Our judgment has been paid on the cross. The blood of Christ has covered you. You were forgiven. It doesn't make any sense for us to go through that. Now, um, you know, when you consider, I, I kind of look at this scripture and Jesus using Noah and Lot as a picture of Noah being a picture of Israel. Because what will happen in the tribulation is God turns his heart back towards Israel. His people will believe and he will protect them just as he did Noah. And he protected him through the judgment period. But Lot, on the other hand, God came and got. God came and take, took him out. It's a picture. I think Jesus is speaking about Two different things here. He's talking about Israel and he's talking about the church. The church did not replace Israel. Lot is a representation of the church. The fact that when Abraham, in Genesis chapter 18, read the account, but he went to God and he said, will you judge the righteous? Almost accusatory to the Lord. And the Lord says, Abraham, you, this is me paraphrasing. Abraham, you know I'm not going to do that. There'd be no point for me to judge the righteous. Those who have their hearts have been sown to me. There'd be no point for me to do that. I put pressure on people in this life. I allow things in their life to draw them closer to myself because they won't get it any other way. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. God had to put you in difficult circumstances to draw you to himself. And yet, oftentimes, we still don't learn. He says, man, and he's, and he's just relentless with us because he loves us so much. And those people who would reject him, he loves them as much as he loves you. And he's relentless with them. But he said he wouldn't judge the righteous. He told Abraham, I wouldn't do it even if there was 50, no. Even if there's 45, no. Even if there was 40, no. Even if there was 30, no. If there was 20, no. If there was 10 people, would you do it, Lord? No way. I wouldn't do it. Listen, let's just cut to the chase. Go get Lot, because he's the only one there that is righteous and that I'm going to save. Him and his family, you go get them. You bring them out. And that's what God will do through the tribulation period. Paul told us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11, for, the God, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or sleep, we might live with him. That's his will for you. That's his desire for you. Paul says, go on, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, one another up, just as you were doing. Romans 5, 9, 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from what? The wrath of God. Being saved from the wrath of God. The tribulation period is the wrath of the Lamb coming down on the world. John 5.24, Jesus said it himself, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Again, you could go on and on. There's many, many scriptures that support the idea that God has not appointed you to wrath. He is not going to judge you because Jesus has been judged on your behalf if you're wholly his. God is going to take his redeemed bride, I believe, out of the world before the tribulation period happens. Again, righteousness restrains God. We're not righteous in and of ourselves, but Jesus Christ is righteous, and his righteousness has been imputed upon you, the Bible tells us. And so when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of his son. And listen, there is righteousness all over this world today. Many, many believers that believe in Jesus Christ, right? And the word tells us, you know, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8, now concerning the coming of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us. These guys thought that Jesus had come already. To the effect that the day of the Lord has come, let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against everything, so-called God, or, obje or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. It's the Antichrist stepping into the temple saying, I am God, okay? Verse 5, do, not remember, do you not remember when I was still with you? I told you these things. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Then the lawless one uh, will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with his breath of his mouth and bring to um, nothing by the appearance of his coming. Again, there's a restrainer. God won't judge the world if there's righteous in it. And there's a restrainer in the world right now, and that is the Holy Spirit in the church. And he is, he is stopping the Antichrist from being able to rise up and take over. It's the, it's the Spirit in us that I believe is being spoken of here. When the church is taken out, when, if the rapture, when, when the rapture happens, everyone who is a believer who is sealed with the Holy Spirit will be taken. There will be a, bit, a period of time, I don't know how long that is, that no human being will have the Holy Spirit inside them. No human being. The Holy Spirit will be at work in the world as He once was in the Old Testament, but there will be no human being that has the Holy Spirit inside of them because we'll be gone. And that will allow, that will afford the enemy the ability to cause the Antichrist to rise to power. You know what's stopping him? You are. You are. Every time you see some ridiculous thing that comes out and says, hey, we should do this. And you say, no, that's, that's not in the Bible. We're not doing that. We're not standing for that. Listen, we see in part today, we are partly you know, we see dimly. We see through a glass dimly, but we still see. 
And we can spot the enemy from a mile away. No, that's the enemy. And we even, we even tell each other that sometimes. When something's going on in your life, you go, no, that's not God. That's the enemy. Don't you listen to that. Don't you receive that. that those, are, those are words that are contrary to Scripture. You know, well, God just wants me to be happy, so I'm going to divorce my husband. That's not in Scripture, and you shouldn't do that. You're going against God if you do that. You know what I'm saying? And so we do that to each other. But you're the restrainer because the Holy Spirit's inside of you. And not you. Because you just follow along with everybody else, wouldn't you? But it's the Holy Spirit inside you that is restraining the evilness of this day. And so, um, you know, the, the rapture provides the, the opportunity for um, the restrainer to be removed so that the enemy can cause the Antichrist to come to power. Again, I could go on about this, but I'm going to close this down here in a second. But one other thing you want to consider is it, regarding the pre-trib rapture is when you look at the book of Revelation, and I mentioned this two weeks, three weeks ago, in, in, in the verse 19 of chapter 1, it gives you the outline for the entire book. And here's what it says. Write, therefore, these things that you have seen, that's past tense, those that are, that's present tense, and those that are, will take place after this, and that's future tense, okay? So the book of Revelation is split up into three sections. That, that which you have seen, that's talking about the Jesus Christ being revealed in the first 18 verses of Revelation chapter 1. The things that are, that's talking about chapters 2 and 3. And why do we know that? It's talking about the church. That's talking about what the end times church will look like. And if you read the, those letters to seven literal churches that existed during that time, you will see that five of them were, were horrible, people, horrible churches. They were not, Jesus was saying, if you don't correct these things, I'm going to take my lampstand from you. And do you know that 1,500 churches shut their doors every year in our country? 1,500 a year. Listen, these churches exist in our day and age. We are one of these churches in, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. There's only two. There was one faithful church and there was one persecuted church. Those are the only ones that were doing the right things. And we aren't the persecuted church yet, are we? I pray that we are the faithful church at this point. Listen, those are the only two ones. In, 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 but anyway, the things that which are, that was present tense, and that's speaking about this period. But when you come to chapter 4, verse 1, here's what it says. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet. And he said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Now, isn't it interesting that John was standing somewhere on earth and Jesus opened up heaven and he said, come up here. It was the, the voice of a trumpet and he said, come up here. It's a picture of the rapture. And then he said, I will show you what will take place after this. Chapters 4 through 19 where the tribulation period unfold before us. There is no mention of the church. The church is gone. Just some, some food for thought. I don't... Regardless of what you believe here today, whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, you know, they're not salvation issues. But that shouldn't excuse us from looking into the scriptures ourselves to, to better understand these things. You know, we want to know. We want to know more about what the Lord has for us. Now, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you're sitting there listening to everything that he just got done saying, your next question is going to be the exact question they have. Where, Lord? Where are you taking them? Because they understand that, that what, wh whoever's being taken in this passage 
It's at the hand of the Lord. He's taking them. And he says, and they say, where, Lord? And then Jesus responds, kind of this weird thing. It's like, hey, man, when you see vultures circling a dead body, you know where the corpse is. God bless you. Have a good day. You know, like, what? What do you mean? What he's talking about is this was an old, this was a proverb of the day. They just spoke like that. What he is saying is when you see a vulture, you know there's a dead body there. You can see that. That's visual. There's an illustration. Hey, vultures are circling. There's dead bodies. Okay? It's the same thing. When you're taken out of this world by the hand of the Lord, you're brought to the Lord. Where I am, there you will be also, he said. And so he's referencing that. I like the way John Corson said it. He said, I believe the implication is that if dead bodies and vultures are linked together, how much more will the living body of Christ and Jesus himself be linked together at the time of the tribulation? So what do we, what do, we do with this as a church? If we're not going to be here during this time, what do we do with this information? There's three things I want to leave you with this morning. Number one, the, the, this whole idea of the rapture, the coming of the Lord, and all this stuff, that should motivate you to live holy. That should motivate you to be separated from the world and to become that much more like God because He's coming to get you one day and you want to be found faithful. And so God would exhort you today to live holy. If you're not living holy, God would say, hey, just begin right now. Repent today and start making choices that separate you from the world. Don't be part of the world. Don't be like Lot. Don't get so sucked into the world that you're just part of it all. Even though you know things are going wrong, you're still part of it. He was like that. God would tell you not to, do, not to be that way. He's calling you to be holy because He is holy. If you are being just like the world, then you're not being like Christ at all because He wasn't like the world. So God would call you to be holy. The, the second thing that, um, that um, God would call you to be is evangelistic. And I say this all the time. Go share your faith. Go tell somebody about Jesus. Why do I say that? Because... Honestly, the church isn't doing it. I, I read a couple studies here recently. LifeWaste um, Research did a study on people sharing their faith in the church. They said 80% of those who attend church one or more times a, a month believe they have a personal responsibility to share their faith, but 61% of them have not told anybody about how to become a Christian in the previous six months. Barna confirmed those same results in 2013 they found that 73%, listen, of born-again Christians, now we're getting a little more specific. Before, who are these people? What do they believe? We don't know. Born-again Christians, that comes with a doctrine. When you're born again, that says something about who you are. That means you are, you are, you know, the, you are conservative evangelistic when you're called born again, okay? So 73% of born-again Christians recognize that they have a personal responsibility to share their faith with others, and yet only half of the 73% um, you know, share, actually share the gospel at least one time in the past year with somebody with different beliefs in the hope that they might accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's an indictment on us, right, as the church. And you know, God, I'm, I'm preaching to myself right here. You know what? I, I, I'm exhorted in Romans chapter 116. Uh, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God and the salvation for those who believe. And so we have a life-giving, life-breathing message that we can give people. Don't sit on it. God would call you to be evangelistic because he's coming back one day and you will not evangelize in heaven. So do it now. You know what? He's, you're going to be accountable for that. He's giving you that right. And lastly, walk by faith. Walk by faith. I think in the church in this day and age, 
you know, this whole idea of walking by faith and just taking steps and just doing it because you know God's calling you to do it. You have no idea how he's going to make it. Make a way is completely illogical to most people. It is illogical. But we serve a God that is almighty and powerful and supernatural and he can do anything. And so if I can do all things through Christ, then I need not worry about the things that are, I'm caught up in my, in my own mind, right? God would call you to walk by faith today. If you're not doing what he's calling you to do, then you're, you're, you're in disobedience to him. And he would tell you, I, you are my workmanship. I created you to walk in good works. Therefore, go walk in those works. I've, I've done it all for you. I can't do any more. Walk by faith. So three things. The three things we want to do. You know, I, I already forgot the first one because that's how my mind works. What is it? Live holy. Leave, live holy. Hey, that's a good one. Live holy. Be evangelistic and walk by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and for your word. And Lord, we are grateful people that you love us this much, that you would continue to pursue us and continue to love on us and exhort us and just encourage us to walk in you, Lord. We all sit here this, this, uh, this morning with, as different, in different stages of our walk, Lord. Some of us are babies in the Lord. Some of us are toddlers. Some of us are teenagers. Oh, Lord. Some of us are you know, young adults, and some of us are the elderly in Christ, the mature. Lord, regardless of where we find ourselves today, you're calling us to grow. You're calling us to remember that you're coming back. That you're not slack concerning your promise, Lord. But you will one day come back for your church. And should it be for this generation of believers, Lord, that we would be faithful to the gospel. That we would be faithful to the calling in our lives. Lord, I just want to pray just a spirit of emboldenedness over this congregation today, Lord. That you help us to take the steps in our lives to really focus on the things that matter. As we talked about last week with Wes, the things that, that, things that we are doing in our lives right now, we have to evaluate, are they going to translate into eternity? Not so much speaking of my job or whatever it is, but what am I doing at my job? Am I living for Christ? Am I, am I shining my light in the grocery store? Am I being Jesus in every aspect? Lord, if I'm not, I'm not doing what you've called me to do. And I pray today, Lord, that you just move in our hearts and you just draw us to yourself. Encourage us that, Lord, time is short and you're coming back. Teach us to number our days, Lord. We pray as we close now, Lord, in this song, as we think about the coming of Jesus, Lord, may it stir a heart and a passion within us today, Lord, to really, to really live for you, to be holy as you are holy to be evangelistic, Lord, and to walk by faith. And so, Lord, that's a prayer. And, Lord, if, if, just pray that you would just move in our hearts even now in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we close, we're going to stand here and we're going to sing a song. And if, if you want prayer, come on down. We'll pray with you. We'll, we'll have some folks down here to pray with you. And, uh, you know, this is an opportunity to respond to the Lord. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.